Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We just harmonized on Woohoo, so you know we're getting an advanced here. Um, my name's David. I'm Megan. And we're so excited to be back for the third episode. Um, hopefully this turns into like a slightly censored dinner conversation, but just slightly because it's it's noon right now and we haven't had our wine yet. We are definitely going to bring lots of good jokes. I think in our household, comedy is kind of our sixth love language. So it appears at dinner conversations. It appears awkwardly at all points of time during the day. And it's probably going to appear on this podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And like to bring that home, um, last week we had Claire Gallagher and Johnny Herrick over here for dinner, which is one of the first times since the whole uh, global pandemic thing began. And um, while Claire was here, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do it up real big because this is like, we're coming back strong after the pandemic. I'm not gonna order pizza. I'm gonna cook a delicious pesto pasta. So I did, I was so happy with the creation. Then we went outside to have like a glass, maybe a glass and a half of wine. I was gonna say two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we were having fun out there and we come back in to eat this delicious meal and it smells like kind of like one of those trucks went down a long mountain um, and overused the brakes. So it was like burning rubber because apparently I forgot to turn off the oven. But it was freaking delicious. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I like all food, but personally, the the burning rubber pasta was delicious. Well, Claire and Megan both were extremely complimentary. So that's how you know you have good friends when they like your burning rubber. Well, I think I think it gets back to the fact that we're both pretty terrible cooks, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the nice thing about that is we love all food as a result. It's like, oh, this burning pasta is tasty. <laughs> I, I can think back to, I guess it was two weeks ago that we did uh, my birth, my 30th birthday dinner and we had been outside all day and we we're like, okay, we just want something really easy for dinner. So we had Campbell's Chunky Soup. Oh, yeah. And we sat there and we're like, this is the most delicious <laughs> thing we've ever had in our lives and i was we were we were eating carrots that could probably survive until 2050 <laughs> had we left them in the pantry and i was like this is the, this is the tastiest carrot i've ever had this carrot that's gonna that's gonna last forever i mean a nuclear apocalypse wouldn't be too bad when you have savory pot roast chunky soup that was one of the greatest and then we both felt great the next day so basically what we're saying is when you're eating for performance you just need 100% of your daily sodium, lots of preservatives, and savory pot roast. Actually, that's not true, but it was delicious. And um, yeah, I think it shows something that like Megan is just always always pretty easy to please when it comes to food. And I think I'm pretty much the same way. It's it's kind of fun that way. We've had a lot of interesting meals over the years. Um, so yeah, that's what it feels like. It's We have all these friends listening that are here eating our chunky soup thoughts with us, and it means so much. So for the future, you can email your questions to an all-new email address, someworkallplay at gmail.com. Um, we'll iron that out. In, in future episodes, we just want to answer some questions and use those for the five topics that we're discussing in 30 minutes or less. That's a good segue. Should I kick it off? You should kick it off. Let's do it. Are we going to make five topics today? We may, perhaps, but that actually brings us to the first topic, which is dealing with uncertainty. Um, so we are living in very uncertain times, aren't we, Megan? Uh, I would say so. Right now, I would think that, I mean, right now it's a little horrifying to see yeah. what America is going through. I think COVID rates are certainly on the rise and we don't really quite have a clear trajectory of where things are going. Uh, the Southern states right now are a little bit of a mess. I think people are, it, it, masks seem to be in debate. <laughs> There's just a lot going on. So in this are you topic. saying, should I go? Should I go to the bar? I really want to do some jello shots. Should I go to the bar? Should you go to the bar? I would say that's a negative. So do my jello shots at home. <laughs> do your jello shots at okay. home, please, safely, uh, with a mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, with, with COVID right now, like, 
I think the the future of the next few months look really uncertain. And that brings us to our topic that we really dug into today. And so I'll start with like a really general thing and then Megan will get into some of the specifics. So I always remember this from law school. Um, one of my mentors, Michael Hyatt, a attorney at Earth Justice, um, he came to school, to, to my law school to speak as like a career career speaker. And what he said to the people in the room that I'll always, I'll always remember is that if you want to do what's worthwhile in your life, you have to get comfortable at dealing with uncertainty. Um, and what he meant in specific was that, you know, in law school, a lot of people go and it's like, I'm going to save the world. And then three years later, almost all of them are working at big law firms because that's the direction that the law school inertia pushes you because you do on-campus interviews and it takes away uncertainty. You go work somewhere for a summer and it takes away uncertainty rather than being like, I might have a job. I might not when I graduate and living and just sitting in that. Um, and so Megan, like, what are you thinking with the, the science of uncertainty and how you think about it? Yeah, so we started talking about this topic the other day, and I wound up doing a deep dive into uncertainty. <laughs> I just started doing research, and then there was more research and more research and more research. And all of a sudden, I realized you could do a PhD on uncertainty, which is which is kind of an inception point because a PhD is uncertain AF. <laughs> so I was like, holy cow. I'm imagining the inception movie uh, sound soundtrack. Brom. Brom of a PhD in uncertainty. But there's all these different models to look at uncertainty. There's the entropy model of uncertainty. There's the theory of personal uncertainty. There's the uncertainty and anticipation model of anxiety. It's like, I feel like there's just like these amalgamation of words and you need kind of like this flowchart to understand all of them correctly. But what I took away from in my research is that we're all dealing with uncertainty. And what happens when we solve one uncertainty is that we're just unlocking these bundles of new uncertainty. So like the ethos of life is really just being able to sit with uncertainty and knowing that it's always going to be there. It's kind of just like getting in that meditative mindset of accepting and acknowledging it um, and being able to deal with it. So how, how can you get better at like accepting uncertainty? Because I know for me, like I love to map the future. I, I, I love to map certainty onto an uncertain world, which is where, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll talk about in the future, but like I always tend towards a little anxiety and anxiety episodes. And every time I do that, I'm like, wait, I'm like ups, a little bit upset about imaginary things right now. So like, how can people start to deal with that sort of thing? So I think the key point of this is that everyone deals with uncertainty differently. So the the actually the fact that you brought up anxiety is interesting because a lot of people who struggle with mental health issues um, or who have past trauma actually may have heightened physical responses to uncertainty because um, in the past they may have had some uncertain experience which may have had very negative outcomes. Um, and so for those people working with a therapist is actually really helpful because you can help kind of uncouple that negative physical response that you may have to uncertainty or thinking about uncertain situations with kind of those emotions that happen. And so, I mean, we'll talk about this more on yeah. future episodes, but working with a therapist is an amazing <laughs> thing to do well, in life, I love this. whether you have mental health issues or not. So I think, I think for me, it really gets down to just understanding that everyone deals with uncertainty differently and knowing that life is always going to be uncertain, whether we're in a global pandemic or not. And just being able to to understand that personally and to voice it, you know, to talk to other people about it, to talk to therapists about it and and just to to, you know, <laughs> to sit with it. I love this because like Megan does this Greg Luganus style deep dive. Like she's diving off the 30 foot diving board and doing a few flips into the research and then I get to learn. But like um, when she talked about the physical manifestations, like this is the first time we've talked about it. And it's super interesting because for me when I do have these little episodes, which are very few and far between now, um, like what it feels like is almost like in, in my heart, like in my back, there's just like a little bit of a, 
underlying pulse, even when nothing's going on. And usually it's like one event. So like a few weeks ago, I wrote an article on transgender athlete rights. And that caused me to start just stressing about nothing. And, and it got to the point that like, I just felt it pulsing in the background. Fortunately, it, you know, with Megan's help in talking to Danielle Snyder, a, a mental health counselor, we recommend it's really gotten better, but um, yeah, I need to get more comfortable with uncertainty too. Like, how have you like personally dealt with that? Like, have you thought about that in your own life? I have thought about that. And I actually think, can we use this as a segue to topic two? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Is, let's... Man, we are crushing the segues. So when we were planning for this episode, I was like, we need to make uncertainty cover two points. So I think the second point that we're introducing, so there's uncertainty in life, but the second point is uncertainty as it relates to sense of self and as it relates to relationships. So getting uncomfortable with uncertainty in life is really helpful, but having comfort with certainty in self and certainty in relationships better helps people deal with that uncertainty that they may experience does life. that mean like romantic relationships or is it more broad? Like, it's more broad, but I yeah. think I think thinking about it in the sense of romantic relationships is a great place to start. And what I've seen is that a romantic relationship or any relationship, a relationship with a partner in general, is it's really helpful to have that that framework of certainty. So like being being there to support someone 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. percent through positivity through enthusiasm and then you know not all relationships are enthusiastic 100 <laughs> of the time i think we know that so it's like having the certainty that you can have that open communication as a couple without things totally falling apart is another element of so uncertainty. you you've again helped me a ton with this and see we're seeing that this these topics are ones that i still struggle with and i think megan's much better at i don't and, know about that well <laughs> i'm giving you some props you're the thank good, you um but <laughs> So we're just, we're going straight to last night for this story because, um, so I had been working really hard all day and for some reason, um, I was just a little in my own head and I like kind of snapped at you for nothing. I was like at one of the snapping turtles. Like, <laughs> um, and I remember like going back to my computer and being like, yeah, that felt good. Megan deserved that. And then like 45 seconds later, I was like, wait, that was totally ridiculous and came from nowhere. And in the old days, I think I would have like sat in those feelings for a while and been had too much pride to say anything. But uh, Megan and, and others have helped me just be like, Oh wait, Megan, I'm so sorry. I don't, that was about me, not you. I'm so sorry. It was the most amazing apology. <laughs> I think I was totally taken aback. I was like, wow. I think, and I think it was less than 45 seconds to, oh. <laughs> to be honest. There's a long time. I think it was like 15 seconds, but it, I think situations like that, especially recently, have given me the certainty that we can communicate about difficult things. It's like there's that foundation of trust. There's that foundation of support that when things like that happen, you know, you can apologize or I can be like, oh, hey, I felt pretty shitty during yeah. that moment. And it's it's so helpful to flush things yeah, out. And we, I mean, you know, I think because we're doing this podcast and like we're super loving and stuff like that, like I think it's easy to be, I think people will often project onto social media relationships or podcast relationships that they are like this ideal that you would see in a fairy tale or like after the credits roll in the fairy tale, happily ever after. But I mean, I've never heard of a relationship that's actually like that. We go through, we've gone through really tough times. Um, and I think that, you know, where Megan one, th one place we've really worked on is that like, I think what I have a tendency to do is that if things aren't perfect, like then I am doing something wrong and need to fix it immediately. Um, maybe that's 
more of like a male trait or maybe it's just me personally um but where i've like getting with uncertainty sitting with that uncertain feeling and being like no we're in this uncertain mix together and that's not just the good times where we're like deeply in love and everything's perfect it's the bad times when we're deeply in love and everything is imperfect but the idea is that the certain background pulse isn't the, like to to reference the same thing i did before is that we're in love and like even when we don't like necessarily like being around each other for 15 seconds or however long I made you feel terrible. Um, hopefully like, you know that I love you no matter what. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank but, you. This, this is, is, this is yeah, a fun podcast. I'm like going to get down on one knee and like, yeah. wow, will you be my podcast partner? <laughs> yes. Um, but I think, I think that actually raises an interesting point. So I think it takes a lot of certainty in your sense of self to be able to bring that certainty to relationships. And I feel like that's something that I've really seen from you over the years is that like you've established this amazing certainty in your sense of self and who you want to be, even if you come up against uncertain situations and difficult times and you've brought that into our relationship and it's a really meaningful thing. Yeah. And I think that that's the big takeaway we want you to have on these topics is not solving uncertainty. One, it's talking to people about it. It's being open about that uncertainty because again, all these uncertainties certain things get back to universal feelings that everyone has. And once you do open up and feel comfortable with others, whether it's a romantic partner, a friend, family, therapist, like all of that can be helpful. But when you're drawing it back to like where the base is, it lies in your relationship with yourself um, and trying to find that comfort with who you are. And so what, what our big message to you, if you're listening, if you don't take away anything else from anything we ever say, is that you are freaking awesome. Um, and by you being awesome, that doesn't mean that you're awesome and your race wins or your perfect relationships or when you handle a situation, right. It's like, you're awesome in that entire process. Like where, where you're being the snapping turtle, where, you know, you're burning the pasta, where you're doing all this stuff, like to cut yourself tons of slack, because then that also lets you be there for others. Like, I was just going to say, I was going to say, I would add to that, that telling people how you honestly feel about them, whether it's the fact that you think they're amazing or you love them, or you think they're one of the best friends that you've ever had, that will give someone the superpower to be certain in their own selves, in their own sense of self. And it's a powerful thing that you can do for someone and don't be afraid to do it. Like don't play hard to get. (laughs) That's stupid. Be honest with people, tell them how you feel because it will change their lives. Yeah. And like, I think both Megan and I like were like that, at least for me, I remember thinking, am I kind of playing a character right now? Am I acting um, like people might want me to be? Like, whether that's, I used to be much more formal or like, um, you know, like even in like what I wore and stuff like that, I'd be like, well, what are other people hoping and expecting of me? Instead of being like, well, what do I want? And Megan is like, well, no, because you're great the way you are, whatever that is. And so thank you. Well, thank you. But to, to tie it back to like other people, uh, like I, I think a good place to, to put all this into practice is in racing. So when you step to the race line, that is the ultimate in uncertainty. Every time you do it, you have no freaking clue what you're going to get. Um, and that goes for workouts. It goes for everything in your athletic life. You know, you could get a severe injury tomorrow. You could have your breakthrough tomorrow. And um, what's so cool about an athletic life is you get to kind of do, you know, after the deep dive into uncertainty, you get to swim around in that uncertain pool. Um, and so be cool with that. And it's okay if you're a terrible swimmer, because my oh, yeah. uncertain pool is like me flailing and drowning and not being able to do any sort of freestyle. Well, don't whatsoever. drown. Everything's short of drowning. Wear some, wear some of those like puffy things on your arms. What Great. 
Swimmies. Swimmies. Okay, I need some of those. All right, so topic three, um, maybe trying to limit some of the uncertainty in an athletic life through... Dun, dun, dun. Rest days. Rest days. Um, this is one of our big topics as coaches. Um, every athlete we coach takes a rest day a week now from, you know, people like Hayden Hawks and Claire all the way to, you know, people just starting out. I mean, we even have some pro athletes like Kat Drew and Scotty Hawker, Kat Drew, top 10 at Western State, Scotty, 30 at UTMB, who often take two rest days a week. And on top of that, many unplanned rest days because we're like, as soon as you feel anything or do any, just just rest at the first sign. What I've seen too with coaching athletes is that rest days are really challenging when you first start taking them. Athletes are like, this is going to be the most terrible thing. I don't want to rest. And I'm like, please, please, please just try it. And it gets a lot better with time. <laughs> so I've seen that again and again, and, and athletes start to look forward to them. What I encourage athletes to do too, is I call them treat yourself days. It's like, do something fun for yourself, whether that's sleeping in, taking a nap, drinking a glass of wine, something that makes the rest day just a little more exciting so than a normal day. Treat yourself. Treat yourself treat yourself exactly um yeah so treat yourself or adaptation days or rest days whatever you want to call them um and like a study that i thought was really really helpful in thinking about this is there was a german elite athlete uh middle distance runner camp and at that camp they did a load management routine where um they did full biomarker studies every three days and partial biomarker studies every day um, where they're looking things like cortisol hemoglobin things that respond to stress as soon as one of those values got a little bit out of whack they stepped back and took time off. Um, and they did that over the course of the camp. Everyone at the camp progressed, no one got injured. But in the real world, you know, we're not doing blood tests every day. Like you can't measure these biomarkers. And there's long tails on stress. Like stress lasts longer than the brain thinks it does in the body. That, that I said that wrong, but you get the idea. Um, and so the idea is in this world where we are uncertain about where our physical state is and we can't purely go on feel, um, because often feel is wrong when you're thinking about these biomarker studies. Rest days are insurance. Um, and it gets back to some of the other studies on other topics, right, Megan? Yeah, exactly. And I think one interesting caveat with this too is, is I work with a lot of female athletes yeah. who before training for races, we we actually juggle rest days a little bit differently. I've seen some that some female athletes who struggle in that PMS fear, peer, yeah, uh, yeah. like spot in their menstrual cycle. If you time the rest days a little bit differently, and this can be, we'll, we'll make this a whole different topic <laughs> yeah. in another podcast episode. But if you structure the, the rest days a little bit differently pre-race, it allows athletes to not to like to essentially like alter their menstrual cycle a little bit or to not necessarily be in that PMS phase right before race day. Yeah. And that'll be a, a big topic, I think, that we go into. And what that gets to, I think, is that rest days affect hormone balance in a positive way. Like often the reason that athletes will, you know, get their menstrual cycle after they start recovering a little bit can be related to the recovery element, you know, like this biomarker, this cellular level recovery. Um, so it, it's good for sex hormones, both for men and women. So that includes things like sex drive. If we're talking about relationships, um, this is like the relationship episode. I know. Hot damn. Yeah. I feel like we might need to put an explicit marker on this <laughs> podcast. Um, so the other one, glycogen recovery is a key element. It's really hard to avoid within day deficits, um, while you're training especially if you're training at high levels, this is a chance to be like, by treat yourself, we partially mean emotionally and we partially just mean your stomach um, and getting a lot in there. Uh, the other is like cortisol and stress. And then I think the big one is our adaptation processes. So when we're talking about adaptation, I think sometimes people are just like, well, that means aerobic adaptation or musculoskeletal or strength or all these things. 
But in reality, there are probably a thousand different variables that are all thrown into adaptation. Um, and we don't really know what those are. We cannot model out a pure, like a closed loop model of adaptation. Um, and with that in mind, the idea is just to give yourself the space to let you know your underlying talents, your underlying ability, all of the work you've put in over years to add up. And to give yourself the gift of longevity in sport. Rest days, we've seen anecdotally, we've seen in research that rest days can really help with longevity. And I think longevity, both physically and mentally, like it's yeah. easy to burn out. What we're doing is is hard. And giving yourself that space to rest each week is just a powerful thing for a reset. Yeah. So like when you're thinking about rest days and like um, unplanned rest days, is there any guidance that you have for athletes on that? Like and, um, you know, because I think maybe an athlete can get comfortable with, okay, Monday is my day off, but like, what about when something hurts on Thursday? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a, at least for me as an athlete, I still struggle with that. So what I tell athletes is to frame it in the sense that it's okay for it to be hard. Like all athletes go, whenever they take an unplanned rest day, it is inherently hard. It's just a part of loving our sport, loving what we're doing and trying to get better each day. And it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard. The other thing is, is that I think the more unplanned rest days you take, yeah. the more you realize that they're not a big deal. <laughs> like you come back two days later and often feel stronger than you did, you know, before. And usually that means the body needs the unplanned rest day. And once you get confident in that cycle and realize that, hey, I'm not losing fitness. In fact, I might be gaining fitness yeah. and I may be preventing an injury. It's something that's helpful for athletes to see. And I think, I think unplanned rest days get easier at the longer that you're yeah. in sport. So when in doubt rest, like you know, your body will reach the place it's supposed to reach, whether you take a rest day or not. Like our brains like to conceive of things on a weekly schedule, right? Like what are my weekly miles and all this stuff, the brain or the, the physical processes that are undergoing do not care about the calendar whatsoever. Um, so if you can like downplay that and in, in how you plan, do your training and take two or three days off sometimes, like often we'll see the biggest breakthroughs after that, both personally and with like athletes we coach at all levels. Right. And it's so cool. And I'm always, I'm, I always tell athletes in the log, I'm like, remember this unplanned rest yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's like, I need street cred for, yeah. for like giving unplanned rest days in the future. And so it's a great teaching. Oh my God. Point. Athletes have such short memories. I know I do. Yeah, I for sure do. So you want to go to topic four? Let's do it. We're, awesome. we're making way. Um, topic four is VO2 max. And a lot of the time we're talking about general things early on in these podcasts and later on we'll dig into very specific minutiae of studies and things. Um, so the big message we have with VO2 max, this big sexy variable, is that it is a secondary proxy measure for fitness. It is not something we care about. It is not something we have our athletes measure. We don't even measure it ourselves. Yeah. I have no idea what my VO2 max yeah. is. Yeah. What I tell athletes to do is, you know, assume your VO2 max is the 99th percentile and train and think accordingly. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So VO2 max is the maximum oxygen use during exercise. Um, and I think the big message, Steve Magnus, a great coach has had a lot on this, but um, VO2 max is measured because it's easy to measure because it's a inflection point in a graph when you're, um, you're exerting in the lab. Um, but it's just an inflection point. It is not an integration of the entire aerobic curve. Um, and as like that or integration of the aerobic curve is what matters. The inflection point barely plays a role um, when you're looking at like um, the studies on taking athletes that are all in general in a similar place and then charting out where they actually perform. Um, it's kind of a random scatterplot. 
It is a random scatterplot. The other thing that I've seen, actually, random scatterplot is a great segue to this, is that VO2 max is a highly genetic dependent variable. So the, the science actually right now is not great in terms of identifying genetic predictors for VO2 max. But the estimate is that the heritability for VO2 max is anywhere between 50%, which means that genetics account for somewhere mm -hmm. between like 50% of your VO2 max level. But the way that we think about VO2 max is that it's probably a complex and polygenic um, genetic factor, which means that we don't have one gene that's like, oh my gosh, this gene explains, mm -hmm. you know, 30% or a big percentage of our VO2 max. It's likely that it's a combination of many genes that are contributing less than 1% to this VO2 max measurement. And um, so as a result right now, like we don't really have a great way to measure it. And then on top of that, um, the, the thought process is that a lot of environmental things that you're doing are, are modifying your epigenetics or how your gene activity and expression levels are, um, you know, are occurring. Yeah. So like when you're thinking about like epigenetics and things like that, as it relates to talent, like, are there any things that athletes like that matter to athletes in their lived experience, you know, that you're thinking about with genet epigenetics, like, like consistency or like where they're, I, I don't know, is there anything that they can do to optimize those types of things that are underlying realities of their genetic nature? I think consistency is great. I think, I think it gets back to the fact that like, as you mentioned before, that VO2 max is a secondary variable. And so yeah. it's like, do the consistent things to optimize performance each day. And that's what matters. It doesn't okay. like, you know, digging really like deep into like trying to be like, how am I going to be improving my VO2 max today? Doesn't actually make a big difference in the grand scheme. I asked a leading question there because Megan has, yeah, she, she, what are you going to say? Oh, I was just looking at you. I was like, can you stop with yeah. the leading questions, please? I like, I feel like we have a good relationship, but I cannot read your mind. Yeah. Yeah. She, when she looked at me there, I was like, Oh man, that's <laughs> almost a snapping turtle look. Um, yeah, and so what? May, the reason I asked that is because, like, you know, I used to worry about this a lot more than I do now. And like when I got into coaching, Megan really laid it out for me. It's like there are in, in the ninety-seven predictor gene she mentioned is a great example. Like you're combining all these different inputs, and then we're measuring maybe one output, whether it's VO two max or five k time or whatever, like whatever variable you're trying to measure. But all those different inputs are being influenced by a number of different things. So you're looking at thousands of variables. And in that big scheme of things, the, what you can do is like, just optimize what you're doing each day and not worry too much about the outputs. Yeah, there's so many different variables that I feel like if you worry more about one particular variable, you may actually just screw up all the other variables. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I feel like I've seen that before where athletes are trying to pick at like the 0.5 percentage points. And it's like, no, just stay consistent. Like, you know what I mean? Like trying to like, pick at that 0.5 percentage point at the cost of like just staying consistent and like grabbing that like the global five percent yeah. is not worthwhile oh my gosh so much of this podcast is like me telling stories from before i met megan but i used to read all these scientific studies and then try to uh duplicate protocols and things and it was a total disaster um and then you know since then it's been much more like do things like take your rest days because studies don't support rest days really. Like when you're actually talking about an athlete that can train seven days a week healthily versus one that does six. But you know, what matters is consistency and adding up those points over time. So you want to go to 0.5? We have three minutes left. Holy crap. We made it. I this know. Is awesome. This is amazing. Almost earning our chunky suit. Um, so topic five and the big one we want to end with is the overarching topic of living and being yourself in a world with haters. So yeah, 
what, what do you think about this topic? We've had some haters recently. We right? have definitely had some haters recently. I think our work is the sort of work that produces either five-star reviews or one-star reviews. Yeah. Like, people really do not like positivity and enthusiasm. Some people. It's, I, I would like to think it's a smaller percentage of the population than I believe it is. But it's. I think we've realized over time that it's like, oh my gosh, we should just keep doing this. Like, There's no reason for us to cater to those one-star people uh, because those one-star people will probably give one star to Chunky Campbell's yeah. Soup. So it's like, it's it's something that we've really thought about over time. Oh my gosh. And I think about when Swap started, so Somewhere Called Play, the coaching thing, back way back seven years ago now, more than that. And at first, over the first few years, even pretty later on, get see, reading things online and every single one hurt me so bad. Um, and it'd be like, what's up with this unicorn crap or like calling, um, you know, the coaching hobbyist coaching or, or anything like that. And every single time I read it, I was like, should I change like and all this stuff? And it gets back to the certainty element that we were talking about earlier. And Megan would be like, no, this is, this is you do that. Um, and you know, I mean, it, I'm like, stuttering stuttering because it meant so much to me and it still does and i've gotten much more secure in that but even now you know whenever we put ourselves out there there are like lots of crap that we have to face and i think that and i think what i from what i've seen is that it seems easier for you but it also does seem like some of it still hurts and it's okay like you know i think it's a basic human empathetic response It's it's a basic like you know, human element that you do feel impacted by that. And it's okay for it to still hurt. Yeah. yeah. And so the big message we have is that anything you do, if you put yourself out there, you're going to get one star reviews, right? Like that one star review might be online in a public place, or it might just be from someone that is giving you a performance review at work. Especially in today's climate. Like I think right now, today's climate is like you say black lives matter and you may get a one star because like society right now is very polarized. Yeah. But you want that one star. Yeah. Because those topics are the most important topics to stand up for. It's important to be courageous and not to cater. to. Yeah. And so basically one star reviews in life are, a reflection that you're doing things right. Um, you know, if you're that average, like everyone, no, you're not, people aren't disagreeing with you. You're not probably not being fully true to yourselves. So like what we ask you to do in these last 30 seconds is moving forward, like speak your mind, be willing to go for it. And when you do, and when you run into that resistance, be like, Nah, I'm good. It's actually an honor. Like, yeah. if you don't get a one star review, you're probably not being courageous enough. Yeah, I love that. And so, 10 seconds left. You are all five stars to us. We love you guys. Woohoo! Um, so, thank you so much. We love you. See you next week. Bye.